try that again. Good morning, Pillar Church. Good morning. Um, for those of y'all who do not know me, um, my name is Caleb Gore, and I am a member here at Pillar Church, and it is an absolute honor and privilege to be able to come up here today and to share God's Word with you today. Um, if you're new to Pillar Church, usually um, the elders here go through a book of the Bible and they preach it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But over the past couple of weeks, we've kind of been doing something different. Um, we've been doing this uh, back to the basics type of series. Um, week one, um, Pastor Canaan talked about enjoying God. Week two, uh, Pastor Canaan also talked about regular repentance. And then last week, Pastor Martiche talked about the family of God. And this week, um, we will be discussing, we will be going over bold evangelism, okay? So let's pray together um, and uh, pray. As I'm praying, I pray that y'all would pray for me, um, that I would be able to um, preach God's word effectively and clearly. So let's pray. Father, Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you chose to reconcile a people to yourself. Thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you for this, these people that are here today, Lord. Um, you're good, God. I pray, Lord, that I preach your word, Lord, that I would preach it clearly and effectively, Lord, and that, Lord, your spirit would convict hearts as it's convicted mine, and that you would just do work in people's hearts today, Lord, that would not just end at Madre Walton Elementary, Lord, but would go and, and would continue outside of this place. I need you, God. I can't do this without you. So I pray, Lord, you give me the strength and the clarity, Lord, to preach your word effectively. Thank you for everything you give us. In Christ's name, amen. So like I said, my name is Caleb Gore. Um, I'm a member here. Um, many of you may not recognize me. I've kind of been MIA because my wife and I just had a baby not too long ago, so... Um, it's been, it's been crazy. And, um, as I was preparing, um, for this message, um, I was reflecting on really not just this year, cause you know, it's December, we're, we're coming on the end of the year. And, uh, but I've been thinking about the past two years and how the past two years have changed our lives forever. Um, you know, when I think of 2020, um, and I was reflecting on this, the first thing that comes to my mind that I felt like started all this was January 26th, 2020, which might not be a date that you recognize right off the bat, but for me, it was a very meaningful day for me, because it was the day that um, Kobe Bryant passed away. And um, for the first time in my life, I was shook by celebrity death. I'd had celebrities pass um, that, you know, I knew of or, you know, I liked, but Kobe's was the first one that really shook me. Then four, year, four days later, should I say, um, I had a 
really close family member, my uncle, passed away. And then um, a month later, my grandfather passed away, and then COVID hits. And then with the craziness of life and um, with the blessing of also having two children um, during this time, it's caused me to reflect a lot. Um, and to be completely honest with you, because of how crazy life has been with work and everything else, I actually told Canaan, you know, Pastor, I don't think, I don't, I don't know if I could do this. Um, but then, about a month ago, um, I had two colleagues, two co-workers, die in a week. And within a week of each other, I had two colleagues pass in a week. And in the summer, Pastor Canaan um, and the elders assigned um, a handful of us a topic to preach um, about the basics, and mine was bold evangelism. And I was like, gosh, it's like he knows something about me. The only thing that I would probably be uh, fall more short in in the spiritual disciplines of my life is if he told me to preach about pray without ceasing. Um, I feel like prayer would be the, the only topic that I'd be weaker at. But as I reflected over the past two weeks and the reality of having two colleagues, um, one that I saw every day um, pass, I came to the sobering realization that unless the Lord tarries, we are all going to meet our maker someday. We're all going to stand before God we're all going to have to answer before God. And my thought was, after these co-workers passed, how much about Jesus did I share with them? Did I check them? Did I see if they knew Jesus? Even today, um, I work in a very secular place. Do I talk to my co-workers about Jesus? Is his name on my lips? Do they know that I know him? Like many of you, um, maybe evangelism might have a little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth. Um, for me, I grew up in a uh, very fundamentalist type of setting, and I heard a lot of fire and brimstone sermons. How many of y'all heard those? Right? Almost scared. You're, you're running to Jesus not because you love Jesus, but you're scared of hell, right? So for me, I, I have this... I have this war inside me where I'm like, ooh, I don't want to have that. I don't want to give off that impression. I want people to come to Jesus because he's wonderful. But I find myself that that paralyzes me and it causes me not to evangelize at all. I'm sure that some of y'all have heard this quote um, that has been attributed to Francis of Assisi, but it's preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Anybody heard that? Is that really a biblical sentiment? No, we're to preach the gospel, not just with our lives, but we are to verbally share the gospel. And I find myself using this quote as an excuse not to evangelize. Oh, wow, okay, well, people should be able to look at my life and know I'm a Christian. And they should come and ask me. Anybody there? Is it just me? So this week when I was preparing for the sermon series, I asked myself, why don't we evangelize? What are the excuses we use? And one of the resources that I pulled out is Mark Dever's book on personal evangelism. And I use some of the excuses he uses, and I, I, I added some on my own. Um, 
So one, we don't know their language, which for most of us, we, we come into contact with people who speak our language, so that's not really an excuse that many of us can use. Number two, evangelism is illegal. We live in the United States of America, so that's not really one that applies to us. Number three, this one is one that I find myself using. Evangelism could cause problems at work. Well, if I share Jesus and someone complains on me, or someone says something. Number four, this is another excuse how to use. Other things seem more urgent. I'm too busy. I got too much going on. I got two babies at home. I can't really focus on evangelism. Or number five might be something that um, many of you use. I know at points in time in my life I've used it. I don't know any non-Christians. I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. Okay? Or number six, excuses concerning the people you're evangelizing to. Well, what will they think of me if I share the gospel with them? They see how I live my life. If I share the gospel with them, what are they going to think of me? And then number seven... Many of us would say that we believe in a literal hell. But by the way we live our lives and our lack of evangelism, our actions speak differently. And then number eight is the most convicting to me. We really don't love people like we should. I remember a couple years ago, I watched a relatively short video with the magicians. Uh, it was the magician Penn from Penn and Teller. They perform in Vegas. And Penn is an avid atheist. Everybody who knows Penn knows that he's an avid atheist. And he was kind of doing a video journal entry, and he, he talked about how at one of his shows, um, a Gideon walked up to him. And if you don't know who Gideons are, they're the ones who put the Bibles in hotel rooms, and um, you know they'll pass them out from time to time. And this Gideon came up to him and was just very kind and loving and, and handed him this Bible and shared Jesus with him. And... To tell you, I was shocked to see his reaction in the video. He's crying, and he's like, I still don't believe there's a God, but there's something about this experience that has changed me. And he's like, and one of the things he says is, is he doesn't respect people who don't evangelize. He doesn't respect people who don't proselytize. Because one of the things he says is, is if I believe that a train is coming for you and I don't do something to stop it, how much do you have to hate somebody? And I'm not just, I'm preaching to myself. This is not a, I'm coming for anybody. I'm coming for myself. The finger's pointing at me. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons, said, Once more, he who really has this high estimate of Jesus will think much of him, and as the thoughts are sure to run over at the mouth, he will talk much of them. So do we? If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash and you will talk of his sweet love. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So when I look at the New Testament, the disciples were more than bold with this message. After being beaten, 
In Acts 4.33, it says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and with great grace was upon them all. Paul even says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then to the Greek. So what is evangelism? Well, evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion, which just means good news. The good news, the good message, the gospel. It means to announce or declare or preach the good news. Okay? The word angel is similar to the word evangelism in the New Testament. And did angels almost always brought good news. J.I. Packer said to evangelize is to present Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that men shall come to put their trust in God through him to accept him as their savior and to serve them as their and to serve him as their king in the fellowship of his church. And the thing is is God has always been calling people to himself. Even in the Old Testament there was evangelism. It was different, but it was there. In the Old Testament we see more of a centripetal view of in, of evangelism where the people of God would, represent, would be God's representatives on earth and would show God's glory to the nations. Israel's role is to be light to the nations and to live their lives in such a way that the nations see the true and living God and are attached to their lives and their God. And you can see this, Psalms 105.1, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known His name among the nations, make known what He's done. Isaiah 12, 4, in that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, praise his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Ezekiel 38, 23 says, and so I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So in the Old Testament, it was showing God's glory through his people Israel. But in the New Testament, we see a shift because the Messiah has come, Jesus has come. We are now commanded to not just for people to come and see, but we're commanded to go. You can see this early on in Jesus' ministry when he's preaching in the synagogue. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. That word right there is gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. In Mark 1.15, he says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Just like Pastor Derek said earlier, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. And of course, most of us are familiar with Matthew 28.19-20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You also see this in Mark. Go into all the world and preach the gospel of all creation. Now I want you to think of this. Is this a suggestion or a command? It's a command. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. And we're specifically going to be camping out in 14 through 21. So if you got your Bibles, I'm going to give you a second. 
We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. So, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now, we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if you look at verse 14, right off the bat, Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. Now because of the, and he's going to tell you why this is important, for the love of Christ compels us. So this term, the love of Christ, it has a double meaning. It's not just the love that Christ has for us, but it's the love we have for Christ. We love, why? Because he first loved us. And because Christ, Jesus, has loved us so well, we love him. And that love compels us. Your version might say it controls us. So when you talk about evangelism, one of our motivations for why we evangelize is because Christ's love controls us. Because Christ has loved us, we want others to experience that same love. And because we love Christ and want to obey his commands, we go and share the gospel. So for the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, therefore all have died. Those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, because Jesus has died for us, we now have died to ourselves. We have now died to ourselves. All right? As a result of Christ dying the penalty for sin, and death has been paid for, those who believe, all right, all of humanity can become right with God those, for those who believe. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Because of Christ's death, we are no longer to live for ourselves, but for him. And part of that living for him is telling others about him. And you see this in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh, I live by faith. Or the, now I, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself for me. And one of the analogies I always think about is, um, how many of y'all have ever had to clock in for work? Right? You have to clock in. I know I've had those jobs where you clock in. When you clock in, you're on your boss's hour, right? Well, if we have died to ourselves and we have been made new, we are on Christ time for now. In verse 16, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even though we had known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him this way. Yours might say we knew Christ according to the flesh. We knew Christ fleshly, right? And it also says we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. And what that means is, is we no longer look at people the way we used to. We look at people and see, are they believers or not? I remember in Marta Shea's um, sermon that I was listening to uh, over the week, one of the things he said was the family of, uh, we're all God's children. And how that's misconstrued, because no, only if you're a believer are you God's child. We're all God's creation but we're not all God's children. Only those who have been, uh, only those who have been made new by Jesus are God's children. So for us, when we look at people, um, we no longer look at them from a worldly perspective. We look at their heart. Have they been made new? Do they know Jesus, or do they not know Jesus? And because we know Jesus, and because we've been transformed and we've been changed, we now are to look at people the way God looks at people. Even though at one point in time before we knew Jesus, we looked at Christ from a worldly perspective. Before we knew Jesus, before we saw him as Lord and King, we did not see him as Lord and King at one point. But now that we know Jesus, we see him as Lord, Master, and King. So verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So I love how Pastor Derek said earlier when, before he sang Heart the Herald Angels Sing is it's not just um, the new creation is not just God redeeming humans or in, transforming individual believers. But since Jesus has come, it has contributed to the act of recreating humans in nature in Christ. And because of Jesus, if we are in Jesus, we have become a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And you can see this in different chapters in Isaiah when it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. This all comes to fruition through Christ. And you could even see this in Revelation 21.5, one of the last chapters of the Bible. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. So before we look at 18 through 21, I want, th- I want you to see three key assertions about evangelism that are here. For one, I want you to see that God is the one who saves people, not us. So when you evangelize, the pressure's not on you to save a person, because you cannot save a person. There was a, a pastor in England, Charles Spurgeon, who told a story about how one time he was talking to a friend, and some uh, drunk guy came up to him and said, Charles Spurgeon, you saved me. And he said, yeah, you look like someone I saved. 
Because God is the only one who does this. Salvation is God's work. Salvation is from the Lord. I also want you to see that Christ's death and resurrection is the means of our reconciliation. We have been made right by God, not by our good works, not by anything that we've done, but through Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection. And number three, I want you to see, and this is important, that God uses the ones who have been reconciled, us, to call others to be reconciled. And it is our responsibility and privilege to call others to be reconciled to God. So, verse 18, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So everything from God, this new creation comes from God. And this word here for reconcile is a pretty unique word. It's only used six times. The verb is only used six times in the New Testament, all from Paul, all right? And every time Paul uses it, God is the reconciler. We don't reconcile God. God reconciles us. God is the one who makes peace, not us. And it's used three times here in this passage, and the just basic definition is one of restoring relationship, from one of enmity and hostility to one of friendship, okay? Barrett defines it as reconciliation is an act of God's grace carried out on the cross and offered freely to men. So we were the ones who weren't right. We were the ones who needed reconciliation. But God has given the reconciled ones a ministry of reconciliation. And it's not merely the message of the cross, but becoming an active reconciler, bringing to the world harmony out of chaos, reconciliation out of estrangement, and love in a place of hate. It's being salt and light. It's being a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And we see the, the ministry of reconciliation more clearly in verse 20. And we're going to get there in a second. So verse 19, that is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. God has reconciled us to himself, not counting our trespasses against us, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're going to see what that message is in verse 21. And we see what this ministry of reconciliation is in verse 20. This ministry that has been committed to us, which is we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. We are Christ's spokesperson. We do not work under our own authority, but under the commission of a great power and authority. And one of the things that stood out to me about this verse is, in your, uh, in your translation, it might not say we plead. It might say we beg. And I think of this about our urgency to evangelize. Are we pleading with people? Or are we just like, all right, if you don't accept it, it's on you. You know, I feel like many times, for me, I don't view people like God views people. 
I don't love people like God loves people. I view it like, hey, I told you. So tough. If you don't accept it, that's on you. But right here, Paul says, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We beg on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. This is the same word that's used in Matthew 9 when Jesus says, therefore pray, or the word could be beg to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Here at Pillar Church, are we begging God to send harvesters, to send out workers to harvest? And he's and, and, and what we are to call people to do is to be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God by God. In reconciliation, there has to be a response by the one that is reconciled. And if we don't call people to respond, we're not fulfilling this. There has to be a response made to the gospel. And not just merely a, a cognitive nod Okay, I get it. There has to be a response. And we see what this message of reconciliation is here in verse 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The message of reconciliation, God provided Jesus to stand in the gap for sinful humanity. Even though Jesus was sinless, God deals with him as though he were a sinner by letting him die in a cursed death. And this should be good news to every single person in this room. That when you stand before God, it is not your righteousness that you stand up and show him, but it is Christ's righteousness that you stand up and show him. I'm thankful that when I stand before God, it's not going to be my good works that are going to be on display that get me into relationship with him and get me into being with him forever. It's Christ's righteousness. I remember in a class I had, I had someone um, interview me, and one of the questions was, on a scale of 1 to 10, how is your relationship with God? How do you feel like you're standing before God right now? And I said, 10. And the guy looked at me and I was like, gosh, you're kind of prideful. And I was like, no, and I pointed him to this verse. If you have been made righteous through Christ, we are all a 10 before God. We could all stand before a holy God righteous because it is not our righteousness that we've put on, not even a part of our righteousness that we've put on. We have put on all of Christ's righteousness. That's why we can share the gospel with people, and no matter what we've done that week, we know that we are covered through Christ's righteousness. Like the old hymn, my hope is filled on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not doubt the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So for us, we do not simply have righteousness from God, but we are His righteousness through Christ. So this should cause a response out of us. So the plan for bold evangelism. All right, we've looked at the scripture. Here's some plans that we could put in place if we're really serious about evangelizing. Like I said, I'm, tell, I'm talking to myself. 
Because I go into the workplace tomorrow, and I'm faced with non-believers every day. So this isn't just like, hey, I got it down. Y'all need to follow me. No, it's like we need to do this together. So number one, pray for opportunities. I don't find myself praying for opportunities. I almost find myself praying for no opportunities. God, please don't let that person come talk to me. I don't want to talk to him, Lord. Please, no. No. But do we pray for opportunities? Does the, life of, does the love of Christ compel us to want to pray for opportunities? Number two, plan to evangelize. If you know that you're going to be in a conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus, plan on sharing the gospel with them. Number three, accept that this is our calling. In that quote I said earlier, when Spurgeon said, you're either a missionary or an imposter, that holds true in the sense that this is a command. This isn't like, hey, if you feel like it, preach the gospel. If you feel like it, share Jesus with people. As a Christian, it's our imperative to share the gospel with people. It's our, it's our role as Christians to encourage others to be reconciled to God. Number four, understand that we may mess up, and it may not be, we might not share it as well as we want to. God doesn't just tell people with seminary degrees to share the gospel. God doesn't just tell pastors and elders to share the gospel. We're all to share the gospel, and understand that sometimes it might not be as clear as we want it to be, but practice makes perfect, doesn't it? And understand that it's not us that saves people. It's God that saves people. There's nothing in our job description that says, all right, you need to save this person. We're to just share that good news with them and pray fervently that they would come to God. Number five, be faithful. Be faithful. Um, I have to say, one of the people who really encouraged me um, in this area is Pastor Eric. I've seen him share the gospel with anybody. And he's faithful every time. Faithful every time. Because sometimes evangelism can be discouraging, can it? Especially if we don't do it a lot. We're like, well, God, I tried it and it didn't work. You don't know if your seed, the seed you plant, is eventually going to grow and that person's going to come to Jesus because of the seed that you planted. Risk. We must be willing to risk. And I'm not talking about risking our lives, because in this country we don't really have to risk our lives to share the gospel, but risk what others might think. What will people think if I share the gospel with people? What will my coworkers think? Will they think I'm this Bible thumper? I mean, I know my coworkers have heard me say this, this, and this. What are they going to think if, if I share the gospel with them? Be willing, and this is, this is me preaching to myself here, understand that if you preach the gospel, at some point in time, you will be called a hypocrite. Because we're all hypocrites in a way, aren't we? We do things that we know we shouldn't do, and we still do them. 
Number seven, be prepared. Be prepared for the hope that is in you. <laughs> be prepared, okay? And that will help you when you share the gospel that you know what to say, that you know how to share it, how to articulate it. I know our elders here have plenty of resources for you that if you need resources of how to share the gospel, okay, they're there for you. I mean, take notes from Pastor Eric. I've seen him do it many times. And he might not even have known I was paying attention, but I've noticed. Number eight, look for opportunities. Look for opportunities. And I'm not just talking about on a plane when you're with a stranger by yourself, but look for opportunities. Number nine, love people. If you do not love people, you will not evangelize. If you don't love your coworkers the way Jesus loves them, you're not going to care to tell them about it. And I got to tell you, this love comes from God. Because are people easy to love? I love my children, but sometimes they're not easy to love. And that's my children. That's not even, you know, day from work. That's, that's my children. Number 10, fear God, understanding that what you're doing is God's work. What you're doing is something God has called you to do, so make sure that when we do this, we keep that in mind. Number 11, stop blaming God and making excuses. God, why do I have to do this? Or making excuses for why you don't evangelize. Well, God, if, if I do this then it might put me in this place and work. Or if I do this, I might lose this social position at work. Or if I do this, what will my family members, I haven't even talked about family members, what will my family members think of me? Because I can tell you, there's, I have family members that need to be evangelized. And sometimes that fear of, ooh, what will they think if I, if I say this? And, you know, for a lot of us who are from Texas or from the South, we just assume everybody knows. That's not the case. And number 12, the last one, consider the message. This is supposed to be good news. This is supposed to be good news, and it is good news. The fact that people who deserve death get life through Christ. The fact that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that through Jesus we can be reconciled to God and we could receive his righteousness, that is good news. It's freeing news. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know that, um, that relationship with Jesus, I pray that today that you would put your faith in him that you would repent of your sins, that you would follow them. And if you're like me, and you're a believer, but you haven't been evangelizing, and evangelism hasn't been a daily part of your life, I pray that you, like me, would try to repent. That God would grant us repentance so that we could start sharing his wonderful and good news with others. And if you don't know Jesus, please talk to one of the pastors here, one of the elders here, Pastor Eric, Pastor Marache, Pastor Derek. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good news. 
Thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that you have loved a rebellious and stubborn people. That even still, as we're rebellious and stubborn, you still love us. Even after we've been reconciled to you, we still act sometimes like we're not. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that you would convict their heart and that your spirit would move inside them. Lord, I pray that the fruit of this sermon would be that people would come to know you. Through the people here, Lord, that we would go and share your gospel and that we would be bold in sharing that good news. Thank you for everything you give us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we stand before you, Lord, it is not our righteousness that we put on, but it is Jesus' righteousness we put on. In Christ's name.